Well, welcome to Embrace today. I am grateful to be with you today. My name is Austin, and I'm the campus pastor at our St. Croix campus in Minnesota. And so I'm excited to be able to be with you today. A special shout out to the St. Croix campus today. Um, We are celebrating our third birthday today. So three years ago, we launched. Let's put it up for the St. Croix campus, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's been incredible. It just seems like absolutely yesterday that we had launched that campus in Minnesota. And so grateful to be with you. Eat a piece of cake for me today. I'm sorry I can't be with you uh, in person, but honored to be bringing the message. I want to welcome all of our campuses, all of our network churches. I'm just grateful that today is an opportunity to worship God. Uh, we have been in a message series called Five Things That Will Kill Your Relationships. And uh, it's been a great series. I've really, really enjoyed it, and um, if you've been here for the entire series, and maybe you're a little bit like me, and it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I mean, we kind of we started off the, the series, it was magnifying other people's adult, uh, um, faults, and uh, so I was like, oh, I need a little bit of attention in that department, but uh, it was an amazing message, and then it was holding grudges, and I'm like, huh, I wonder who I hold the grudge against, and kind of did a little bit of processing, and then they let the Sertoma campus pastor come in here and bring a message that just really hit me deep, and it was needing to be right. I don't know if I'm the only one, I'm like, okay, why, how'd that one get in the message series? I mean, just like, I love to be right. Who doesn't like to be right? I mean, I'm like, I'm like come on, Travis, everybody likes to be right. Uh, that one ended a little bit differently for me. It ended in a conversation with my wife on the drive home from church. So if you've ever had that moment where you're hearing a message and you're like, yeah, that was her doing it to me. And so she, uh, she was just telling me that sometimes when we're fighting, I mean, sometimes when we're having intense fellowship, that's what we call it in my household, when we're having intense fellowship, sometimes it feels like maybe I repeat myself over and over again. I mean, I communicate for a living, so it's time to get my point across. And she said, and sometimes you just get louder and louder and louder until really I just am sick of talking to you and then the fight's over. And uh, she was right, and so that was awesome. So that was, a, that was quite the, that was the bottom of my roller coaster moment. Uh, But today we're going to continue on uh, week four of this message series and we're going to talk about comparison. The fourth thing that I truly believe will kill our relationships if we allow our lives to revolve around comparison. This past Halloween, uh, we, uh, I've got three kids, my wife and I, Callie, uh, we, uh, we loaded up our kids, got them all dressed up, sent them out. We went trick-or-treating around to all kinds of neighborhoods. I had a Navy SEAL and... um, uh, the guy from Halo, and then my three-year-old wanted to be Santa Claus. So she was Santa Claus. Do you want to be a princess, honey? No. Okay, do you want to be a unicorn? No. What would you like to be? Santa Claus. Okay, yeah, we, can, we can do that. So we had a little Santa Claus running around. We went around, we went trick-or-treating, we got home, and I don't know if you got your families anything like mine, but when we get home, my kids dump all their candy in a pile, and then they sort it, and then they count it. So... You can judge me if you want, but that's how it rolls in the Walker household. We sort it out and we count it, and uh, then there's this, this little game that we play that the person who has less candy doesn't really like. But um, we got done counting the candy, and my, my youngest, my eight-year-old, Silas, he said, I've got 37 pieces of candy. And I'm like, sweet. And then his older brother said, I've got 108 pieces of candy. And man, my, my middle boy, Silas, he is just such an advanced, kind, sweet boy. He said, you know what, Emerson, I'm just grateful that you've got so much candy. I'm grateful that I have some candy. I was, just, I was honored to be able to go out with our family and just spend a little bit of time going around. I'm just so excited to be able to have a costume. If you think that's how the conversation actually went, you're out of your mind. <laughs> no, I have an eight-year-old, a normal eight-year-old. He said, I've got 37. Emerson said, I've got 108. And it was like, 
immediately just pouty face, crossed arms, like everything was absolutely over. It was not okay what was going on. And I watched him being mad, and I'm just like, oh, that is so kids, isn't it? They're just so ridiculous. I mean, he went out, all he did was put on a costume that I bought him. He walked to a house, and he said, trick or treat. They put free candy in his bag. He went home, and he counted it. He had 37 pieces. When it wasn't as much as his brother had, all of a sudden, it was a crime against humanity. All of a sudden, all bets were off. It was no fun. And I'm just like, oh, man, what are we going to do with these kids? How are we going to teach these kids how to be grateful? Unfortunately, that's not where the story ends. About 15 minutes later, I was in bed. I was scrolling through social media. And a couple years earlier, I have uh, inherited my grandfather's woodworking equipment um, after he passed away. And so I've been working in the wood shop. I love building stuff. And I'm scrolling through a couple of the woodworking feeds. And I come across these guys that have brand new state-of-the-art shops. And they're making all this new stuff and amazing things. And I'm like, oh, man, I'd love to make that. And I'm not kidding you. In no more than 15 seconds, I was like, my shop is a piece of junk. Immediately, I'm like, man, my shop is a piece of junk. It went from being a great honor to be able to have my grandfather's woodworking equipment to being a complete piece of junk in 15 seconds. And I tell you all that because that's what comparison does. Comparison can and will kill anything that is special to you. Anything that is special will be killed by comparison. And this day and age, social media makes it just so incredibly easy to compare, doesn't it? It's not the root of comparison, but it makes it so much easier to compare. I mean, we all love our houses until we see somebody else who got a bigger one. We all love the kitchen that we have until our friend gets the new Joanna Gaines countertops with the the farm sink and the shiplap and whatever she gets. And I love my job. I mean, my job is so great until I find out that there's some other job that works less hours and makes more money. I feel great about being a stay-at-home mom until I see on social media that there's another stay-at-home mom who just, relaunched, just launched a blog and is releasing her clothing line later on this year and is going all organic and is doing cloth diapers and all the things I can't possibly find, find time to do, right? I mean, I feel, like, feel pretty great about how smart my kids are until your cousin calls and says that her son is skipping a grade. I mean, I'm good at uh, being single until another engagement gets announced. I mean, I could be having an incredible day, everything is going great, and then I pull up social media and I find out that somebody's going on their second Caribbean vacation for the year, and I can't even afford to go camping for the weekends, and there they are taking a picture of their book and their drink and their feet and the ocean, hashtag office for the day, and I'm like, oh, barf, nobody cares. (laughs) Don't care. I hate that book. I hate that drink. I hate your feet. I hate the Caribbean unfollowed, (laughs) unfollowed. You see, we can be having an awesome day and in just a moment, if we allow comparison to creep in, it will kill the special thing that we have. And the reason that it kills it is because I believe that we are looking at the highlight reels of everyone else's lives while we are caught in the everyday grind of ours. See, we're comparing everyone else's mountaintop moments to the mundane moments of our day. Because so oftentimes we're looking at the Caribbean picture while we're folding laundry. It's like, why can't I? And you see, in these moments of comparison, one of two things will happen. Either it makes you feel better than other people or it makes you feel worse than other people and neither is healthy, helpful, or honoring to God. I feel less than so-and-so because of what they have or what they have done 
Or look at all this really nice stuff I've got because I've worked so hard and I'm so faithful and I love God so much and they obviously don't love God that much and they obviously don't work as hard as I do. Makes other people less than us. Andy Stanley describes this moment of comparison as living in the land of Ur. Living in the land of Ur. He says that everybody just wants a little bit of Ur. Whatever somebody else has, they want that plus Ur. They want to be rich Ur. Happy Ur. Better Ur, I guess. <laughs> just a little bit of Ur. If I could just have that Ur, just a little bit smarter, a little bit faster, a little bit better than them then I'd finally have what I've been looking for. I want whatever everybody else has plus er. And I don't know what it is that you compare to today. I don't know what area it is that you find yourself most comparing to other people, but I want you to know that you've come to the right place. I truly can't think of a better place to come than to church, to encounter the living God who, who offers us all good things because the church is a place to come and be known by God and known and loved by other people. You see, comparison, it's not a new thing. This is not a 21st century problem. It's not a social media problem. It's not a technology problem. It's not just a you and a me problem. It's been happening for ages. Throughout the Bible, we find Jesus having conversations with people who are constantly trying to compare themselves to one another. I mean, you see these disciples, it's like, Jesus, hey Jesus, who's the best? Which one of us is the greatest? I mean, come on, you can tell me. I won't tell Peter. I won't tell John. Jesus, who's the greatest? How do I become the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? You see him all over the place. In the Old Testament, you see them comparing against brothers, against gifts and talents. You see them just comparing, comparing, comparing. They're constantly asking this question, am I enough? And so I want to look at a story from the Bible. The stories in the Bible are called parables. And parables are simply stories that Jesus has given us to teach us something, to clarify something. And the awesome thing about parables is when Jesus is giving them, there's a character that's you and me, and then there's a character that's Jesus. And so we're going to look at Matthew 20. I'd encourage you to look at the Bible you brought from home. Um, also, I would encourage you to read it uh, throughout this week. Take a look at it again. Maybe read it uh, one more time. This, um, ironically enough, this is one of my least favorite passages in the Bible. And you'll find out here in just a minute why. So we're going to pick up right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. So that's considered to be a fair day's wages for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the market doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And then the eleventh hour, he went out and still found more standing around. And he asked them, why are you standing around here still doing nothing all day? It's because no one has hired them. And so there's this moment where so Jesus or this, this landowner has gone out and he has hired people at different increments during the day. So there are people that are going to be working in his vineyard and they have been there for, some have worked 12 hours, so some got hired right away in the morning and then there's some have worked nine hours, some have worked six hours, some have only worked one hour and he has agreed uh, to pay them whatever is fair. And so uh, we're going to pick up the story here at verse eight. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, so they've been working for one hour, they came in and each received a full day's wages, a denarius. 
So when those who came in were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a fair day's wages. When they received it, they began grumbling against the landowners, obviously, right? I mean, who wouldn't? But he answered to them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I wanted to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? And I just so, so identify with these guys. I mean, why are you grumbling? Because I worked more. Why am I grumbling? Because I had to endure the burden of the hot sun and he didn't. And he made the same as me. And like inside of me, I'm like, my vein of justice is like, yes, grumble. That is unfair. That is not fair. The landowner's just like, why are you so upset? Didn't I pay you a fair day's wages? Yes, but I worked harder and I worked longer and I endured the burden of the hot sun. And yet he says, I have still been so fair to you. See, these guys have just a severe case of the yeah, but days, don't they? It looks a lot like us because God, he has provided us with all of these things. He says, I have provided you with this job, with this spouse, with this car, with this house, with these kids, with this influence, with all of these things. And we respond with, yeah, but they... Yeah, you did provide me with that. Yeah, but they, they get this and they have that. Didn't I give you 37 pieces of candy? Yeah, but he got 108. Yeah, but he, yeah, but they, look what they got. See, comparison causes us to respond to God's blessing and provision with a yeah, but they. It allows us to feel empty and to feel like we're owed something rather than looking straight ahead at what God has blessed us with, being thankful for what we have, we have to look to the right and to the left and we're scrolling through social media figuring out what is it that we are owed. Yeah, but they. Rather than be thankful for what we have, we spend all this time and energy comparing, comparing, comparing to what everybody else has. When we allow ourselves to compare, we're just saying to God, God, you gave me this and it was a mistake because I, am, I deserve that. When we believe in our hearts, we, we sit there with envy and we say, I deserve that. We're saying to God that what you gave what was rightfully mine to somebody else. Sounds a little bit harsh, but that's what we're saying. We're saying, look at all I have, but at least I don't have that problem. At least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like that marriage. At least I don't live in that house. At least I don't drive that car. We're looking all around us and it's killing our contentment. It's killing our families. It's killing our friendships. It's killing our relationships because we must remain focused. Hebrews 12, it talks about running the race. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. The important phrase there is marked out for us, not marked out for them, not marked out for your neighbor, not marked out for that person that you can't stand, the race marked out for you and for me. That is where we must focus, on the race that was marked out for us. Because each of us has a unique race to run. And you have to run your race and I have to run my race. So how do we win the race that's placed before us? We stay focused and we do our very best with what is right in front of us rather than looking around at what everybody else is doing. 
I don't know if you like to watch fail videos or if I'm the only one in the entire world, but some of my favorite fail videos are the people that are running and like running in the track and they're like, they'll look behind him, they don't see anybody, so they like start showboating and then here comes the next guy, just like flies past him at the last moment and wins the race. But my absolute favorite one is the guy who's cycling. The cyclist, you've probably seen, he's cycling along and he looks around, nobody's by him, so he throws his hands up in the air and he gets the death wobbles and then falls down, like 20 people go past him right at the, right at the finish line. You're not laughing because you know that's you and you know that's me. Because that's what happens. We're like on this race and we're like, ooh, things are good, things are good, things are good. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love, I love my job, I love my car, I love my house. And I'm like, whoa, death wobbles, everything's off the cart. This house is a piece of junk, my wife doesn't love me at all, and my kids are crazy, and everything's falling apart. That's what happens in our lives. We must remain focused on the race that was placed before us because you cannot win someone else's race. Let me say it again. You cannot win their race. You can only win your race. When we try to win other people's race, we're telling God, you don't know what you're doing. You have me in the wrong race. I should be running over there. And yet God is saying, I have laid out this perfect race for you, this perfect plan. I've given you all of these things. And we're like, yeah, but they... But they, that race looks so much better than mine. And God wants us to know today that no one can beat you at your own race. Maybe you need to hear that today. The things that God has given you were uniquely given to you. Nobody can beat you at your life, at your race, and you can't win anybody else's either. You've been given a unique race to run and a certain amount of things to manage, a certain number of kids to raise, certain amount of influence to use, and you're the only one who can use it. Comparison, it kills our relationship with God because it allows us to get bitter towards him. It kills our contentment. It kills our relationships with other people because we get bitter and angry. We need to know that God doesn't compare us to one another, and neither should we. God's not comparing you to your neighbor. He's not comparing you to your brother. He's not comparing you to your sister. He's not comparing you to the married people. He's not comparing you to the single people. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And I'll just tell you, like, this message has been a message that God's been working in me for, for months, if not years. There's been so many times over this past few months, few years, where I've tried to be able to, to run somebody else's race and if I can be totally transparent with you for just a minute, one of the big areas where I find myself comparing is doing this, is preaching. I'm just a simple guy who loves Jesus. And I want to tell as many people as I possibly can about his love, about who he is and what he's done for me. And yet when I'm given the opportunity to come and preach, I find myself thinking about all of the amazing communicators that have stood in this very place. All the amazing ways that they have articulated the gospel of Jesus, the way that they have communicated things to me, the way that they have spoken to my life and the lives of so many other people. And I find myself asking, Austin, why don't you speak like that? Why can't you communicate the gospel in that way? Because when I feel that way, I'm looking to the left and I'm looking to the right. Instead of saying, God, you have crafted me with a specific gifting, a specific way to communicate that I can, I can articulate the love of Jesus in a specific way that he's captured my heart. And I find myself over and over and over again comparing myself to other people. 
And I don't know what it is for you that you compare. But I just want you to understand that there's no comparison. There's no other race. There's not enough err in this entire world to satisfy the spiritual brokenness that all of us have in our hearts. You can't have enough money. You can't get enough likes. There aren't enough followers. There isn't enough attention. There's never a right enough relationship. There's not a large enough house. There's not a perfect enough vacation. There's not enough approval from other people to fill that gap. We can look for it and look for it and look for it and look for it, but there's nothing on the outside to satisfy us on the inside beside the God who created us, the God who created you. That is the only thing that fills that gap, that chasm that is inside of each of our hearts. There's nothing on the outside that can fill that gap other than him. It's useless. It's a waste of time. It's destructive and it's hurtful. It either makes us feel better or worse about ourselves. Neither is helpful or healthy or honoring to God. There is not a single external win that will ever satisfy the internal longing that we have. No external win. There's no promotion, no house, no anything that will ever satisfy the internal longing we have. We can look to the outside world and we can ask them, Am I worthy? World, am I worthy? Did I do good enough? Did I do good enough? Do I belong? Do I have enough popularity that I finally matter? Do I fit in? Do you think I'm cool enough now because I'm wearing this or I'm saying this or I'm looking like this or I'm doing this certain thing? Did I live up to your expectations? Was I what you wanted me to be? Those are tough questions to answer. Because so oftentimes when we look at the world and we ask those questions, the world just continues to say, oh, if you were only just a little bit more. Oh, man, if you were just a little bit better. If you were just a little bit faster. If you were just a little bit better looking. If you were just a little bit this, a little bit that. And yet God is saying, I have already created you fully in my image. I have already crafted you perfectly with a plan and a race to run. Just stay focused on me. And so that brings us to the question that will allow us to wrestle with this contentment versus comparison versus successful relationships versus killing our relationships. And it's who or what will I allow to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? If I'm being totally honest, there are some of us that are just allowing us, that that are just living for a dad that's no longer alive. We're living for a mom who will never give us the satisfaction that we want, the approval that we're looking for. Some of us are living for an ex-spouse who has left us and we're saying, I'll show him. If you're living for your friends, whoever them is, you've got to please them, whoever them is. Who or what is going to bring meaning to define our worth in our life? If you're a Christian, you can probably guess where I'm going with this. It's Jesus. It has to be Jesus. It's only Jesus. This answer is so obvious, but it's powerful and it's important. If you answered anything besides Jesus, you're running a race that you will never, ever win. You'll never win it. Never. Never, ever. It's an unwinnable race. That gap can never be filled. So who or what is going to define my worth? Jesus. We have to run the race that is placed before us. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us run the race with perseverance. The race that was marked out for who? For us. 
Not for them, not for the people to the right or to the left or behind us, for us. Because that race was marked out for you. Uniquely called for you. And so each of us, we must wake up each day and we must say, Jesus, I choose you today. Keep my eyes focused on you. That I would continue to run with perseverance at the course that you have laid out for me. That I would not look around at what everybody else has or doesn't have. That I will be content in what you have given me today. Because you are enough, Jesus. You are enough. We must keep our eyes on the prize. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Continue to persevere, to stay in our lanes. Because we cannot win a race that we don't have our eyes on the finish line. We each have our own purpose. I have my own calling that I must live into. I can't be those preachers. I can't be that dad. I can't be that husband. I can't be that person. I have to be me. And so you have to figure out what is your race. I have a purpose to fulfill, a mission to accomplish. I've got people to love. I've got a wife to woo. I've got kids to raise. I've got a church to steward. I've got sermons to preach, and I've got people to point towards Jesus. That's my calling. What's yours? What are you called to do? If you don't know what that is, I'm telling you what, comparison is going to be the killer of your days. We must continue to focus on who Jesus is and what he has called us to. Keep our eyes on who he is. And that will give us contentment and fulfillment and the things that he has promised us throughout his stories. So run your race with perseverance. Run with purpose in every step. And when you do, you're going to be living in a place that isn't always comparing to everybody else. It will allow our relationships to grow with God and with others. And that, friends, is winning your race. That is winning the battle against comparison. That is allowing your relationships to flourish, flourish because someone else's blessing doesn't have to be your curse. Your worth isn't defined by what other people have or don't have. Our worth is defined by Jesus. He calls us his sons and daughters. This is fundamental for us to find purpose and fulfillment in our relationships. Let's stop comparing and begin celebrating other people's wins. We can celebrate with people when they get the promotion and when they get the new house and when they go on the vacation. It is possible we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, comparison kills and celebration builds. Comparison will kill, but celebration can build if we can just stop comparing and begin celebrating our relationships. Then they'll flourish. Win the race that God has placed before you. Cheer on others as they win their race. Then and only then will all relationships become what they were intended to be, full of love and joy, peace and patience and contentment and goodness when we have run the race that God has laid out for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you today for who you are. And God, I just pray for anybody who's hearing this message who says, yeah, but I don't know what that is. God, I pray that you would offer clarity, that you would bring direction in that life. God, that you'd allow us to remain in the lane that you have given us. Because God, that is where true joy comes from. That's where we truly find contentment. It's only in you. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus for each and every one of us. God, it is because of him and only because of him that we have the opportunity to be, be filled, to find, find the fulfillment of our lives. 
God, I'm so grateful that you're a gracious God, that you love us, that you know us, that you claim us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we, that we ask all these things. Amen.